Over the last few years, event professionals have seen a lot of changes and challenges that are going to have a lasting effect on the industry. Welcome to Event Horizons, where we go behind the scenes with event professionals to keep our finger on the pulse of the exciting and ever-changing events industry. I'm Nolan Ether. And I'm Olivia Van Kieran. Today, we're talking with Michelle Nicole McNabb, owner and founder of M&E Marketing and Events. Michelle and her team focus on the justification and implementation of event management for primarily B2B commerce markets. M&E Marketing and Events cuts through event semantics for clients that aren't event professionals, but know the value of events. They source, procure, and partner with event organizers and event solution providers to streamline and advocate for events as an effective channel for scaling businesses. So Michelle, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your business and who you serve? Yeah, sure. Well, first off, thank you so much for the invite to be on the show. I've been in the event industry over 15 years. I actually apparently am an outlier that I knew that I wanted to be in this industry. It's interesting when I talk to people and they share that, oh, we ended up here or they didn't realize that they would end up in the career of events. And so I knew way back in high school. Now, what I knew back then about events was logistics and people getting together and, you know, the party planning and the social events. And so I graduated from Penn State specifically uh, knowing that this would be my trajectory. But I also knew that I didn't want to end up strictly on the hospitality side, the general management side, the venue side. And so Penn State actually has a concentration commercial tourism. And I bring that up because it really has kind of honed back full circle of why do businesses travel for meetings, events, conferences, trade shows. So it really was kind of this roundabout way of getting into events, conferences, and events for business. And so just going into that following their program, ended up in corporate. And again, the logistical side, working events, putting on events. And I definitely advocate that event planner is not the only role in event management. And so I took my 20s to kind of realize where do I want to be, what skill sets, and who do I love to serve. And it was in corporate that I actually worked on a wholesale B2B management side. And so that was really when I flipped and and really saw the other side of not just putting on the event, but now serving and advocating for who I call the contributors. So if you're attending events, you're sponsoring events, you're exhibiting the events, and there's still a need to navigate our industry. And so having the background, working with the organizers, working on production, But also, not all of these companies either need or have the resources for a director of events or an events team, but they are a huge part of the event space. And so that's where my trajectory of going from the organizer side and putting on events and still having that as a core event organizers and event planners are now peers, and I work alongside with them to then support and advocate for contributors is really where I like to bridge that gap. Um, And then, of course, sometimes those businesses may host their own events. They may put on a client appreciation or some sort of hosted event themselves rather than working specifically on the conference or a trade show organizer side. So I like to kind of give that 
background and then also kind of segue the conversation into, yes, we serve the organizers. Yes, we can do the production. We have the background, especially during uh, the pandemic, but who we really love to serve and then bridge that gap is the organizers and the whole ecosystem and how we do that. We can dive a bit more, um, but it brings a different perspective and point of view of how event management can serve the whole ecosystem and the entire audience, not just ticket holders. Yeah, that's amazing. Thank you so much for that background. And it's interesting yeah, to kind of hear the evolution of your career and, and where you landed today. And I, you know, I'd love to start with, you know, talking about in-person events and how they've changed so much. We've seen, you know, in-person events go through this um, real transformation where they kind of stopped during the pandemic. And now, you know, three years later, they're back. Um, how, in your perspective, in your view, working with clients, how have in-person events changed since the start of the pandemic? And how do you see digital elements coming into the fold with in-person events? I would say one of my biggest takeaways is the acceleration of the innovation. And so as somebody being in the industry for over a decade, the amount of technology, the acceleration that we just experienced in the past two and a half years compared to the last decade is in a nutshell how I would wrap that question up. And then if we wanted to deep dive into, let's say, the event tech itself. So going from prior, the event apps and what was available was really geared towards, let's say, event management and streamlining data entry and really advocating for let's not print the, the agendas and let's get all of this information and data upload all your speakers and their bios and the agenda. And so that was more the event management side versus especially through the pandemic. Now it's not only data entry, but it's now these event apps are production applications and content can now be housed on it, which opens a whole new set of doors and data and streaming. And so that in itself, and then the capabilities of not only the info, but how we can interact with these event apps. And so not only broadcasting out information from, let's say, organizer in an info, but now we have the capabilities. How can the audience interact back to the stage? And also thirdly, which I'm sure we can dive more into is how can the audience engage to the audience? And that the acceleration of doing that and the also the apps that now allow for that and how we actually integrate that into the design, it's really exciting to see it. And then it's also just how we can incorporate that would be one of my biggest takeaways. And then on the sponsorship and exhibitor side is how can we relay that. And something I've been sharing for years is a logo placement is not going to cut it for a three-day campaign. And so when we look at how are we going to participate in different shows, we don't want to just see, hey, you get a logo placement for three days on site. We want to know those digital assets and how can we leverage before the event, during the event, after the event. And that's going to give us more value. And we can do that now a lot easier. Not that it didn't exist before. It's just way more uh, streamlined and accepted and the acceleration of that. So those are some of my takeaways that I've seen through the, the past couple of years. How do you think it's going with embracing 
uh, this change and this technology um, on the attendee side, on the organizer side, but then also on the sponsorship side um, and the exhibitor side, you know, what are they, are, are they excited about this? Do they see the added value? Um, what are the trade-offs? You know, just curious kind of what you think the, the best, uh, the best stuff looks like and where we are kind of in the curve. I would say that it's definitely on us as event professionals to help the client side and clients could be the organizer. It could be the exhibitors where truth be told, they don't know or even comprehend that there are so many suppliers to them. It is, we need an event app and then we can help them understand the design of what are their intentions? What is it that we need to take them from that info data entry, let's say, into adding the right features, adding, is it too many bells and whistles? Are they not there yet? We have one client that we've been working with for now four years and going from one data entry app, we'll say, into going into a true hybrid of what do they need and just the projection of we couldn't just take one step and, and get to where we are now. And so we had to integrate. And also where the industry was, they weren't available. We had to integrate four different platforms to get what they needed three years ago. Then the following year, we could consolidate that a bit more, given the market, given what they were actually looking for, down to two. And now moving, it took us that time, and not just on the industry, but them as organizers, but all that they need to really comprehend is what do they want? What design do they want to happen? Like what are the intentions and objectives? And then us as the professionals in our industry steer them in that direction because they're not going to necessarily understand the brand recognition or the credibility or some of the semantics within our industry. They're not necessarily event professionals unless they are hired internally, right? Unless you are an organizer or an association or a company that is large enough to then hire an event professional on your team, they're running their own industries. Like they're using events as a channel. They're not event professionals navigating the space. Yeah. I'm curious. You have that unique insight of working with exhibitors and sponsors how are you seeing them digest? Like, are they interested in the data? Or do they see the value in, because like the difference between, hey, like you said, putting a logo on a sign for three days, like that's really hard to measure, like what the value is. I'm just curious, because we don't talk to that many folks that work directly with the exhibitors and sponsors. Yeah. Is that is that a game changer? Like, what do those conversations look like when you're talking about the utilization of event technology and being able to extend your sponsorships or your exhibitor presence onto a, a virtual platform. Yeah, it definitely comes down to ease of use and data. And that's also why I like being on those conversations and how we identify which shows to go to. And I, I could, this would be a whole nother topic of conversation of how we actually assess and look at different uh, organizers, right? So me as somebody in the industry, I care about who is the organizer and are they data driven? Are they, um, and I can throw out someone like an Informa Markets or um, WBR, right? They are very specific data driven. And I know this, they, as the sponsor, they don't go to their office every day, waking up and be like, I'm an event sponsor. They have different right. roles, right? And I emphasize that so much because 
they what they care about depends. And so I actually go through, I know that this is a podcast, but we're here on video. I go through what I call the seven C's of event ROI. So this is how I say, what do we care about? Do we care about conversations? Do we care about collaborations? A lot of times the sponsors, exhibitors, depending where they are in their market, are they, um, they understand that some of these shows, they can't just sell whatever it is. It's not a vendor show. It's a longer process. They're actually building social capital is very important to them versus just pure monetization, right? And so how can we as organizers and vet through, through data? And that is a question that I always ask. It's not just logo placement, but it comes down to who is your audience? How can we get in front of that audience? And how can you help us with their intent, find that alignment, why they're going and why we're going, bridge that gap of intent? And how can you help us get the permission to carry the conversation? That's in a nutshell what is valuable and what we understand of, hey, if the best that we can do is get a logo placement on the website and maybe get some impressions and then we have a tablecloth, like that is brand awareness, but that's not helping us through converting into the intent and into conversations. And that's where we as exhibitor sponsors really come to organizers to say, how can you help us do that? And that's going to be more valuable. Secondly, would be when I work with those clients, I need to know how they show up best as a brand. Are they sending their C-suite? Do they show up best on a fireside chat, on a presentation, on an implemented workshop, on a keynote? Because they have their own way that they show up authentically and where they are. And so how can we align how their team shows up and who they want to send with the activations and how we can incorporate that into how we participate? So number one being what events are reputable, the organizers, and are they data-driven or are they community-driven? What can they do? What information with that data can help us through the customer journey, realistically. Um, And then that comes down to data and compliance, and that's a whole nother conversation. Um, But we care about that. We do. We care about uh, the compliance and what we can and can't do. And that's also where WebEx versus certain platforms and what can we do as far as our own marketing, setting up meetings, um, that I'll hit on that too. There's certain clients, they just want one-to-one meetings. That's what they care about. So we're looking for hosted buyer. We're looking for platforms that have that matchmaking and the ease of use rather than there are some other platforms that again are holding on to that info plot, like that info data entry. And that is not helpful. Now, the best thing, honestly, was the map uh, feature where you can say, I'm here and I want to go there. <laughs> like, that's cool. It's helpful on site, but it's not helping then the exhibitor sponsors actually build those connections, that social capital and the permission to keep the conversation going. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, we, we love to, on the podcast, give, you know, practical examples of how event professionals are successfully using, you know, different strategies. So can you share any examples of, you know, clients you've had who have done a really great job of incorporating virtual elements into an in-person experience, whether that's for engagement on the attendee side or 
engagement on the sponsor side, you know, getting sponsors connected to attendees and keeping that conversation going and just giving them as much visibility as possible. We'd love to just hear, you know, any any examples and, and ways that um, our our listeners can apply and, you know, have success in their own events. Yeah, um, this case study I will use is on the organizer side. So again, I primarily my differentiator, I love working with them on their activations, but this client particularly is an association. And so the other thing is how can we help these companies scale out their events effectively and so and through technology and through the apps and so how we can do that and or help them as they transition their format. So to paint the picture, they start it in person only. They only needed one of those info on-site apps. This was prior to the pandemic. And they really didn't have a need to extend the content elsewhere. It was very much, they have to fill the rooms. This is a very real topic for event planners who have minimums and that have their venues at hotels. And so they're advertising and they have the room blocks. So that's a very real concern for planners to say, we got to promote the on-site. But now, how can we bring in the different technology so that we can maximize our reach and have that content? And more so as that organizer grew, they now have concurrent sessions. So even for the people on-site, they can't clone themselves and go to all eight segments. So as the organizer grew their own conference, we they had a new need to then say, well, wait a minute, how can we help to support the people on site where they do want to follow the different uh, content that they just couldn't physically make it to and where the technology and where the apps are really, really helpful is help them figure out what sessions and map their show to say, hey, we're now growing as an organizer and are you new to this conference or are you working on a certain initiative in your business? Follow this track because as an organizer grows, then the intent is also becoming more complex. And so how can we help the attendees break through the noise on site but then also for the people offsite, how can we integrate that? And going back to my my previous comment of it's now not only a one-way broadcast of content to the audience, which was very standard and content, where now having those capabilities and these apps are encouraging and really allowing the attendees to engage with the other attendees on site, but then also offsite. Now, I will emphasize there is not a need to do it simultaneously, necessarily. Um, but also, I think during the pandemic, there's a lot of like, how can we incorporate the offsite people with the onsite people at the same time? I don't necessarily seeing that truly in reality, how it actually plays out. It's great on theory, great on paper, you know, maybe bringing in those kiosks, but the the execution of it just does it lays a little flat, but that doesn't mean that we can incorporate and uh, something that I would like to see more of are speaker engagements with the virtual attendees or the speakers having the ability because when you go to these conferences, maybe you're lucky and, and you grab them after their session and you you want that interaction. But when you're at these huge conferences and that's one of the biggest feedbacks, not just from this organizer, is how can we 
help to connect the audience to audience, not just the organizer's content outward, but how can we engage inward? Um, and one thing that we did for this show is the production team in the back. So myself and the production team, we could then take and funnel in, we called it the voice of virtual. And so you had people being able to ask, you know, Q and a on site where now we could also bring in going back to that same talking point of audience back to stage and audience to audience. And we could then see in real time, Stephanie from North Carolina has a question And we could, for the first time, for this organizer, actually engage that audience, not just a one way, um, and then bringing that through. And that's some of the biggest feedback is how can we get the audience to audience and leverage your before time and the after time, or at least at minimum have selected speakers where perhaps they have a separate commitment to not only a 20-minute segment, a lot of the format has changed through the pandemic. So maybe they still contribute an hour of their time, but it's 20 minutes on site. And then we also set up, you know, a, a virtual uh, engagement of some sort that, that can be reproduced. So that can be something like this. It's something that I would like to see more of um, to engage where I think it's still unrealistic for on-site attendees to really care and interact truthfully with the virtual people. And it does give that FOMO. Um, but those are just some tactical ways we've, we've implemented it or we've seen it or that I would love to see more of. So you've kind of touched on it already a little bit, but I'm just curious, you know, with where event technology is currently, this is kind of the first season where we're expecting 100% or close to 100% in-person attendance. And we have this sort of virtual, uh, matured virtual or event technology platforms in our tool belt. Um, Where do you think the gaps still are as event planners are looking towards the spring season, which is right around the corner or starting already? Um, where are the gaps or, or kind of um, between, you know, what you think the technology can currently do and the experience that should be uh, at in-person events this season uh, to try to close that gap for those who are who still have time to make some adjustments to their spring plans? I, this is actually a wish list item. Maybe it's more to the event tech software developers. I have no idea who <laughs> would implement it. It's, it really comes down to the integrations and ease of use. And I can express not just from the sponsor exhibitor side, but when you're building your event tech stack, they want one seamless experience. And again, I think we as the event professionals, how can we take ownership of that? So going back to my comment where we integrated four different platforms, but to the user experience, it was one. They had no idea that we actually had four suppliers that played nice in the sandbox, (laughs) to get all the things. So either you're going with an all-in-one platform that can do all the features, or how can we streamline, play nice in the industry and more on the data compliance and the technical side, sure, uh, to integrate? Because coming from the, the person on the other side of the table, especially on the exhibitor sponsors, we just did a show this, this past week, there were six different portals, six different portals as a contributor, as, as an exhibitor. 
And so as someone who doesn't have, let's say, a, a role in-house or someone like myself, these are not necessarily event professionals. These are executives. These are attendees. These are professionals in non-event industry-related industries who are using events as a channel, yet we're asking them to navigate and download <laughs> six different portals to submit their booth or contact all the suppliers and or on the other side, it's like, well, if you want one-to-one -one meetings, download this. If you want the map, you got to go here. If you want to um, find the agenda and the information and this, this is one show. They don't go to one show. And so I emphasize that of how can we streamline for the entire audience, not just ticket holders um, and the communication, I think is definitely a missed gap where as soon as you start promoting, people think about marketing, communication. But what about once you get the ticket and the no before you go communication? And some organizers do an outstanding job. Some platforms already have this integrated uh, into that all-in-one. Or how easy can we make it? Again, not all of the organizers are event professionals. And so how easy can we say, hey, once registration happens, how easy can we stay in touch and segment? These are your ticket holders. These are your speakers. These are your sponsors. And that is such a broken funnel that I see on the back end side um, where the demos and when they go to select these platforms, they're seeing the end result. They buy the contract and then then they have to build it. That's where they get stuck. That's where there's this sense of, oh my gosh, like now we got to set it up. And that is, right. that's the confusion of this looks great, but they don't necessarily know how to get there. And then the integrations and, or all the, the additional pieces. Yeah. What are the key kind of components? Like you said you cobbled together like six tools uh, without, obviously we don't want to throw shade at any particular. Yeah. <laughs> can, can you speak to, can you speak to like what you're Frankensteining together and what would be like the wish list for an all-in-one platform? Yeah. So I have this checklist and I can read through it real quick. Uh, what is the setup and skill set needed that I just emphasized on? So great. We like the look and feel the user experience. We like that, but how easy once we buy your platform, who needs to set it up? Do I need to be a certified C-Vent person or can somebody on my team internally set it up? Uh, the website and public facing. So when you have an event, you not only need the registration platform, but how are you going to have that landing page? All the ones either have that, they have templates. So now you don't have to be a website designer or you don't necessarily need to hire someone, but you need that website public facing, which is separate from the portal, separate from the content. So public facing. Third, registration and payment. So same thing is you have the landing page, but where does that connect to? And so if they already have their own, are, are they using some portal or where's their audience or is that and is it in compliance? Where's that data? Because registration is a heavy, heavy topic of capture that info. Uh, next integrations, I look at are we playing nice? How easy is it open API? There are some demos and some platforms. I don't need to drop names that are, nope, we don't integrate and we aren't open to 
doing so. And so that may not work for certain clients. Um, You know, some of them are no longer around, but it is what it is. Integration, Uh, marketing and awareness. So how easy is it to either market the event and or your sponsors exhibitors? Is that either integrated or do you have templates for your speaker sponsors? Or do we have to pull in another way to get that sponsor kit together get that media kit together? Communication features. So do you have email marketing in there? Can we easily segment based off of the registration? Uh, Or do we need to integrate something like Marketo or MailChimp or Constant Contact or whatever it is? Either way is fine. Is it part of it or not? Communication needs to be key. What about the push notifications and on-site? Security, compliance, accessibility, huge one. Uh, Just because we are virtual does not mean we are global does not necessarily mean that we, um, yes, you may be able to reach that audience, but are we in compliance? Do we have the accessibility for those audiences? Um, Internal platforms, so now you log in, what is that user experience on the back end? Content, Uh, so virtual room, content deliverable. What about your AV team? That's a whole nother topic of um, integrating your software, this platform with the hardware with your AV team. What does that look like? That is a whole nother podcast episode, I believe. Uh, But (laughs) how easy is it? Do you have somebody that can bridge that conversation where, again, the organizer just knows what they want the event to look like and the run of show, but do you have that capability? What is the capacity for that? Um, Then we get into the event management and production. So again, event management being venue selection, being the management of the people, event management of what comes next and the the progress of planning the event versus the production that we've hit on. Attendee experience, speakers, sponsors, all of the attendees, how easy is it for them to upload their content, their videos, the speaker capture all of that information, uh, feedback, surveys, reporting, metrics, analytics, and then the functionality. Whew. I know that was a lot, but I will gladly pass this checklist out, but I wanted to hit all of those as well um, on, you know, on the topic. Yeah, I, I'd love to talk a little bit about data. How are you seeing planners use data to actually improve event design, specifically in-person event design, because now we're in this stage of, of events in person is back and we have all of this data um, through, you know, a mobile event app, things like that. How are planners actually putting that to use? What are some of the core data areas that planners are, are pulling from? Is it survey data? Are, are they looking at engagement data? Can you talk a little bit about that and maybe some examples of, of how you've seen planners actually put that to use and maybe, you know, make their events better and more conducive to attendee expectations um, and interests. Yeah, definitely the registration data is very key, one for them to know who's going and why they're going. And so whether that be, you may have like a two-part registration, right? A pre-registration and or just to kind of get them in, but then what other information we want to capture, why are they going? And that information when they are ready and able to expand their conference or trade show into partners, exhibitors, that again is going to help support. And there's plenty out there, again, that say, hey, come sponsor our event, come, you know, participate. And we say, well, who's going to be there, right? And what is the segment? So not only how many, 
But in addition, and what we love to see is can you then segment and target? So I see a lot of times on these sponsored decks, hey, maybe we have a following of 30,000 or 100,000 and we'll blast out again, going back to that logo or a newsletter. But the question comes down to, and real life example is we had we had someone saying, hey, how many marketing directors will be at your conference? Oh, well, we have 30,000 people on the, the newsletter. It's like, that's great. But probably 25,000 of them we is irrelevant in that sense. And if you as the organizer are unclear of who's going and why they're going, then when you go to expand into asking for sponsorship and how going back to that intent, um, that's going to help emphasize and help support who's there and why they're there and really streamline and expedite that conversation. In the same respect, the attendees want to know why other people are going and what type of conference am I going to go to learn? Am I going to go to make connections? Is it a combination of both? Because on the company side, they want to know who is in our best interest to send to this conference. And that's something that I think that the data and organizers can really play into as well to say, hey, do we want peer to peer? Who can we learn from? Or do we need to send, let's say, um, mid-management because they're going to learn tactical takeaways at this conference? Do we need to send procurement? And do we need to send uh, compliance? Like, who do we need to send? And the more data that you have, who is going, why they're going, is going to help really in the marketing and in the intention. And then that's all in the registration on site, I think this is a bit more advanced, but we do see it. It would be, why are they going to each session? It's easier virtually, right? That That's the nice thing about the virtual is we can see who logged in. Uh, continuing education credits is really important for certain conferences. So you can track all that. Where on site, we want to know, again, a little more advanced, maybe not for your first couple year conference, but not only are they there, but are they going to which sessions on site? And thirdly, in the surveys, I want to know what type of formats are resonating best. And so, again, we see this in virtual. A lot of shift has happened when designing the programming of, hey, are people really sitting there for an hour? <laughs> or are we seeing more uh, fireside chats or how can we better engage? Is it more implementation workshops? Um, and that's going to change your run of show and to really emphasize in what's actually happening and not what you wish to happen is through the data. Like where are people showing up? Um, that feedback is going to help optimize your event moving forward and scale it out and getting the right people there. Yeah. Can you speak to some of the challenges that exist with, you know, like we were talking about earlier, having, let's say, six different softwares you're using to launch an event, you have all this data that's spread across these different solutions. Like, what are the challenges? How does that make a planner's job more complex? Um, and, and, you know, what does like an all-in-one solution that has all of those tools bundled into, into one platform, how is that beneficial? Yeah, I'm going to go back to the ease of use, communication, compliance. I probably emphasize more so 
that not that I need to, but I am a stickler when it comes to compliance, just given who I work with. And so I primarily work with B2B commerce is where I resonate best. And just um, they either have a product or a service and they're selling to other businesses. Um, And so who you're looking to serve and really justify this event and ease of what, like, what are we doing? Where's that data? Um, Where is their information being housed is really important of their intellectual property, their data of their information. Um, They have gatekeepers for a reason. So if they want to know uh, that they'll be protected, right, in that component, Um, but the communication, it comes down to events already take a lot of time, money, energy, resource. But we also know the power of events and why they're effective. At the same time, we want to ease that on their already existing job. And I I can put this back into perspective on the sponsor side. When you're looking at the activations and you now can choose um, like a branded logo on some sort of cup or branded, whatever, right? Um, Make it easy for them. Don't make them log into another portal and pick out, like (laughs) do the work on the front end and simplify and say, hey, these are the giveaways in this particular case study, right? These are the giveaways that align with what we're doing with our brand, um, our top sponsors. We've already narrowed down the 50,000 cups to choose from (laughs) to these, and all that we need from you is the logo, right? And you'd be- believe it or not, there are a lot of organizers that just say, well, you do the work, right? And then they're also asking for these large activations. It's not in all cases. So how can you streamline the execution of that um, so that they don't have to log into multiple different platforms on the user side, because otherwise it's just getting delegated, whispered down the lane internally as well. So compliance, the communication, who does it go to, and the ease of use and how to streamline like what needs to be done. We've already talked a little bit about kind of, you know, the dream of bringing the in-person and virtual attendees together and how that's maybe not played out so much as as we were originally thinking um, or hoping maybe that continues to evolve. We'll see. But I'm just curious about how you see in-person attendees or the opportunities for in-person attendees to still use those virtual um, elements for engagement, for networking, you know, the platforms themselves rather than, you know, how are they doing that to supplement their in-person experience as opposed to just... I'm only going to meet with the people that uh, I run into on the floor or things like that. I'm just curious what you're seeing there and where the opportunities are. Yes. So I want to also clarify that not saying that the on-site and virtual people shouldn't interact. And maybe that's where you do pre-event networking or pre-event during the marketing is a great opportunity. So I like using Omnichannel, right? So how are you bringing that in? Shameless plug for WebEx the organizer is very data-driven. So it was very easy for us to decide if we would not only do the show, but then what was provided and make the ease of use of utilizing the app is we could then see 
who is going and why, because we received that attendee report. And we had the permission then to connect with these segments that we cared about. And so the client out of 3,500 attendees, you don't need to meet and nor have the time or know to just go in blindly. Meeting 3,500 is not the best approach. And so it's a very time manual process. But if now we have the app, we have the organizer to help us say, hey, these are the people with this intent going. We narrowed that down. So now the client with permission can not only connect on LinkedIn appropriately, find them through the app. And I will say this as someone, maybe it's me being a female, maybe it's just me being in the industry. I feel safer when I'm at these events to connect with people, professionally or not, on an app, not giving my cell phone number ever. And so the only people that have my cell phone number would be clients or coworkers or suppliers. When I am meeting people, I want to connect on the app, only the app. That way we can stay connected. And then we can say, hey, find me on LinkedIn through the app. There is no need for professional or not for them to have my cell phone number, which was actually a common practice even when I was in corporate right? And I never felt good about that. And so these apps allow us to segment, to filter, to find these people. And then with permission, having an appropriate touch of outreach. So if you're only relying on that serendipity, yeah, you're going to meet people. Yes, you will absolutely get the foot traffic. But having that plan ahead of time And then in addition, you can now have in a very appropriate way to outreach on LinkedIn. You're not soliciting, you're not spamming them through an email. I don't do cold outreach in that sense. These people go to events with intent. You are given the permission then to connect with them and bridge the gap. And you're actually helping them to say, hey, this is why I believe we should connect. It's very appropriate and you can use this event this was amazing how WebEx allowed us to do that filter through and very uh, professionally say, hey, I looked at your information, your profile, your website. There's alignment here. <laughs> Would love to connect. Was so beneficial to do that um, ahead of time. And the apps that don't allow for that, whether it be for compliance. And I understand you want to protect your audience and you don't want spam. I understand all of that. But when you have an app that the organizer helps to align the matching, allow for those conversations and on site give away, at least in my world, I I guarantee I'm not the only one, but for me, have a sense of safety that I am communicating where I feel comfortable and I'm meeting the people where they are. And with permission, the call to action is let's keep the conversation going off of the platform. Now, that's great. Do you Are you seeing and hearing that attendees at in-person events you know, want more flexibility and virtual tools help them achieve that. And we've heard a little bit about, you know, um, virtual events offer so much flexibility and that's great. But, you know, the incorporating virtual tools actually allow attendees to have more flexible experiences on site, whether, you know, maybe that's, they don't want to get up at 8 a.m. and go to the keynote, they can watch it from their hotel. Like, are are you seeing and and hearing that trend um, 
from from your clients and then feedback from I'm attendees. doing that. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, yes, and all all of the yeses. Yes. Um it's no different than how even the buyer's journey uh, may change for companies, right? And so as event organizers to be mindful of what is that journey and shifting it into a self-guided journey and giving the best tools available rather than it's one thing if it's a one track conference, right? Like everybody's experiencing the same thing, one program, but as you scale out and have multiple tracks and multiple formats, now it's a matter of giving the attendees the appropriate tools to help them self-navigate and create their custom experience. And so even if you have 3,500 people, every single person is going to have a different experience because of why they're there in the first place. And so us as planners, organizers, and the tech, how can we help them to do that easier? Because that is literally a part of what we help our clients to do. Ease the overwhelm, help them map their show to say, day one, these are the connections that you want to meet with, either have preset appointments. This is how it aligns with the sessions you want to go to. And this is how it aligns with where we're going to go for networking or for dinner. And so the more that we allow these tools to rather force people into the programming and the experience we think they may want to experience, and you can guide them, but give them the tools to realistically say, hey, you you don't want to come on down until 10 a.m. That's fine. You can watch, you know, watch the keynote or watch whatever it may be. And they can customize that. They can build their own agenda. Definitely helps create their own experience as to why they're attending rather than having that tension of why they're going or why their boss wants them to go versus what the organizer would love for them to experience. Yeah. You were talking a little bit about like the full journey and, and we talk a little bit about how, you know, I think the event space now, but with virtual is, you know, more tied closely with the, the journey and, and with marketing in general. And it's kind of a 365 uh, day thing, right? So you've got these big tentpole events, you've got smaller virtual events. Sometimes you can even lean in on communities and things like that. What do you think the benefit is of, and, and, and I'm curious if any of your folks that you work with or talk to have like adopted an agency or not an agency, a platform of record, an event technology platform of record where it's not just a one, you know, buy the, buy the platform, set it up for one event, tear it all down like a stage at the end. And then you got to go through the process, but you say, this is our event technology platform. We're going to use this. We're going to use, it can support in person. It can support virtual. It can support hybrid. We're going to gather this data on our attendees that data is then going to be aggregated across all of the time and all of these different platforms uh, uh, and events and things like that. I'm just curious, you know, how those conversations are going, if you see benefits to that. And, Absolutely. There yeah. is benefit. That's something that, again, what is the business and marketing tech stack? I think that's also something to be mindful of as event professionals and tech providers is we are part of their marketing stack or part of their business stack. And so there are roles in these companies specifically to vet through what's working, what's not working, and what can we consolidate. So they are constantly asking themselves that question and say, hey, we have four different marketing tech platforms. We can then consolidate into this. 
and we can save 60 grand a year, let's say, by doing this. So you can justify there are roles in there specifically. And then to streamline it, because now you're going back to that ease of use. Do we then need one person that can learn this, not four different people who need to maintain four different, you know, marketing tech or business tech on top of that? And then for the audience, same thing is they now know if I'm following this business or this association, I now know, or I'm a member of, then those are their credentials. And they know that they are in that same spot. So we do see that it's great for pre-event marketing as well. Um, so if you think of the, the marketing customer journey, you have your main event, but you can do webinars, seminars leading into that. There's no reason why not. And so to simplify the tech, absolutely, it makes it makes sense. I think it's more the matter of, are they ready for it? And or do they have the people in-house to facilitate that? and show them how they can consolidate all of those um, and and meet them where they are. So definitely see value across the whole ecosystem on that um, for sure. And then, and then again, maybe going one layer too deep here, but the clients that I work with, I ask who's the organizer and what event tech stack. Again, the client on the exhibitor side, they may not know that or why it's relevant, But absolutely, I enjoyed the event that we worked with that used WebEx or certain platforms. I now know, great, what other other organizers are using your platform? Because now I don't have to retrain the whole team necessarily. It's going to look familiar. The information is different. The content's different. But each of these platforms are different layouts and different features. So the less that these exhibitors and sponsors have to finagle and learn it. Um, It's going to streamline. So again, that may be one layer too deep, but if you have an internal trade show manager, if you have an internal um, events director, they may have certain platforms that they love and they're going to say, Hey, we're going to go to another Emerald event that which ones, if, if we're creating the schedule, which ones can I eliminate having to sign on to dozens of different portals for my team. Yeah, this has been so great. Um, and so many good insights, um, just from, you know, all different areas of the, of the industry, the planner, attendee, sponsor, I feel like you've just touched on so many good perspectives, um, and, you know, trends that you're seeing. Is there anything else that we missed that you think our audience would find beneficial? Um, just thinking about in-person events, um, and, and incorporating those digital elements, um, anything that we didn't touch on that you think would be, you know, really useful going into, or as we're in the spring event season, um, and you know, moving forward. I would say lasting talking points and just where my clientele are very excited to get back on site. We are not actually considering virtual events with the very exception because to them they, they may consider a podcast or a virtual event a, a speaking opportunity, but it's not where our uh, effort is focused right now, at least on the in my clientele. Um, and with that, the marketing and communication and how can we leverage the the tech going into a virtual is easy to market on the front end, get that registration. Whoop, it's on my calendar. But you need a heavy, heavy uh, follow up to reduce the no shows in your communication, in the ease of use, what to expect, get them onboarded quickly versus your on-site 
customer journey that we mentioned is it takes a bit more commitment up front. These companies, they have multiple stakeholders they have to justify first. So your communication and marketing is going to be multiple. Why should you go? Who's going to be there? Use that data. Help them justify to their boss. Say, hey, here's a letter to help justify getting there. Once you have that commitment, though, you're going to have less of a no-show, but still it's important to communicate and leverage and get them on board as quickly as possible because the virtual events, they're still relevant. They're still valuable, but people are going to be multitasking. You get, great, we got so many registrations. Don't forget the communication and get them on board it and why they're registered because you're going to get lost in the shuffle versus your on-site now is, thank you so much. Don't have buyer's remorse. Here's how to get set up. Here's how to stand out across the other dozens of shows that they are getting back into. Help differentiate yourself as the organizer, as the tech support, and not just on a feature platform, but who you are, because that is how we're making decisions who we're going to go back to. So that's how I want to loop up the virtual on-site, what's important, the data. Um, We want to know who you are as an organizer and who you are as a tech support um, to help us differentiate, not just the name of your show. Definitely. Awesome. This has been incredible conversation. I think you dropped so much wisdom. I hope that everybody uh, has, has gained a lot of great insights from you. Michelle, where, if everybody wants to look you up, uh, connect with you, where can they find you? Yeah. LinkedIn is my most active. I will use, uh, I will share that I go by Michelle Nicole McNabb online. Uh, Call me Michelle, please. But if you Google (laughs) Michelle Nicole McNabb, that's where you can find my other social channels. I'm most active on LinkedIn professionally. I am on TikTok, Michelle in events. Um, if people are, I think it's a great way just to showcase and vlog what we do in the industry. Um, I'm less active on some other platforms, but LinkedIn is the best. And then the website, managementandevents.com. But the easiest way is either to Google and or find me on LinkedIn. Awesome. Thanks so much, Michelle. Thank you so much. Yeah, she was great. So how do you want to start? I mean, the first question was how in-person events have changed since the pandemic began? How have you seen virtual elements incorporated into these events? Yeah, I, I wrote down just she she talked about the speed of innovation and how the the perp, the role of, for example, the mobile event app has changed so much, how it used to be purely informational, where it just hosted like the agenda and, um, you know, information about the event. And now it's really Talk about the map. Yeah, the map. And now it's really transformed as a, a tool to engage, to um, you know, allow people to network. We talked about that at the end of the interview, like where you're able to actually you know, click on someone's profile and either have like a video call in the platform or, you know, get their um, LinkedIn information via their profile and connect that way. So it's really undergone this transformation where it's allowing planners to actually deliver experiences and not just host information. Obviously, it does still host information like the agenda and, you know, relevant information about the event, but um, it's transformed to actually be able to allow attendees to connect sponsors um, so that in-person events feel 
um, you know, multidimensional and, and more immersive than it would be if um, there wasn't that, you know, digital element connecting people and just allowing for more networking and connection to happen. Yeah, I thought it was really, I mean, obvious. it's kind of obvious, but I didn't really like think about it. You know, the the idea of like vetting people ahead of time, connecting with them on the platform versus through personal channels or there, there's a safety issue there with connecting with strangers. And I do yeah. think like that's an, maybe a untouted benefit of some of these virtual platforms is like, you can connect with people, you can vet them, you can filter them and see like, is this someone I want to meet in person, uh, you know, on site or, you know, at a restaurant nearby or whatever it is that you would normally, you'd have to either connect with them on LinkedIn or connect with them on through a cold email or whatever. And then you have to kind of get in front of them and have the conversation. So I feel like the, the networking and engagement piece uh, just even from also from an efficiency standpoint, I mean, you have limited time, you're traveling, you, you know, you just don't have time a lot of times to take three meetings out of 10 that aren't worth your time. And you don't realize it until you're 10 minutes into a conversation that like, mm -hmm. this is a 30 minute meeting and it's not a date. So I'm not going to stand up and walk out on this person. I got to sit through another 20 minutes of this conversation that is not valuable to me. Our, our goals are misaligned or, you know, mm -hmm. whatever the case it's a benefit to event technology that you didn't have before. And I think it's probably changing the way people spend their time at events. Yeah. It's something that I actually talked about with uh, Meredith from Miller Tanner Associates. Um, she really loved the social wall in the WebEx events app. And she had talked about how, you know, as an executive, she might not want to follow her um, employees or her, her team on social media. So the ability to interact with them, in the platform via the social wall was really helpful for her. Um, it just kind of allowed her to have more of a boundary there. And I think it just speaks to the value of being able to keep your attendees and your stakeholders in the app. And so when we're talking about virtual events and even in-person events, it's easy to kind of get distracted and want to, you know, take your conversations or whatever onto like an external platform or, or source, but you're able to kind of have this little community within your event and, and keep your attendees really engaged with the content with each other within, within the event, whether it's a virtual or an in-person experience, um, that app kind of serves as home base for people to, you know, network, engage, um, access information. So I think that's, that's really helpful. Yeah. I like that home base idea too. Cause like another op seems like obvious benefit, but that you may not think about is like, oh, you know, I've been talking to people who are going to be going to this event for the last two months. Now it's time to go to the event. Like, was that a text? <laughs> was that on LinkedIn? Was that an email? What's that person's name? Like, I don't know, you know, trying to track mm -hmm. all that stuff down if you don't already have it all in your calendar and like, you know, pick those warm leads back up and organize your, your time. Like it's all in the app. It's all right there in the app and you can just go back in, go right through your inbox and, you know, continue those communications. Um, yeah. Or like to your point, have like the, you know, one-on-one -on -one video call. Hey, maybe this one, I don't need to do in person, but like, or, or I could vet them in person. Like, Hey, I'm not sure whether our, our interests are aligned. Like, why don't we take 10 minutes and talk on the platform and see if it's good. And if it is, then we can set something up for while I'm there in person. Or, you know, I thought that was interesting. We talked about virtual tools, how that enhances the attendee sponsor exhibitor experience. Um, Michelle talked a lot about the importance of ease of use and just making, you know, the attendee, the sponsor experience in the app just as seamless as possible um, and being able to easily export data 
and use that for follow-ups, obviously in like a, a compliant, um, secure way. But um, what are your what were your thoughts on that and kind of what yeah. she I really love that she brought the exhibitor and sponsor, you know, benefits to the forefront. I think that's obviously something that all event professionals care about. That's where a lot of the money is made. Most of the money is made other than a ticketing. You know, that's really important. I, and, you know, again, bringing things forward like, oh, yeah, we want to sign up for this event, right? Like as a sponsor or as an exhibitor. And it's like, great, this we're using this platform. And then you get in there and it turns out that's actually just the platform for the attendees. There's the four, what does she say? Like six yeah. <laughs> platforms. You got to, you got, they each have their login credentials and you got to upload this thing over here and you got to do this thing over here and whatever. Um, and realizing that like the sponsor doesn't live in this space. The sponsor just paid to, you know, to get some uh, connections and build social capital and, um, you know, connect with their audience there. They don't want another full-time <laughs> job of like figuring mm-hmm. out which platform is what piece and how I connect with the attendees here versus here and where do I need to upload my logo and whatever. Um, and I also thought it was interesting just talking about the, uh, you know, in-person events are really, it's really hard to track ROI or at least it has been traditionally for in-person events when you're a sponsor. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe exhibitors have it a little bit easier, but especially sponsors, like you put your logo on a banner or you're sponsoring a happy hour or whatever. Like, how do you track that? It's like a billboard, right? Yeah. Like, it's like the old like madman adage of like, you know, uh, you know, back in the day, commercials and a- traditional advertising, it was like, let's put out a Super Bowl commercial or a billboard on this busy highway. And then if sales go up in six months, then we'll know it worked. Like (laughs) that's not the best way to track, you know, whether your spend is effective or not. So I think the ability to have that data to showcase all the different ways that a brand exhibitor or sponsor can be showcased within the app um, is, you know, net new benefits that haven't really existed before kind of the maturing of event technology. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like what she said about the importance of registration data and really paying attention to that information that you're gathering about your audience, because that then allows you to really tailor your promotions. Um, so as registrations are coming in, really drilling into you know job title and organization, um, you know maybe pulling um, information from a pre-event survey and then taking that to um, shape your content to shape your promotions, because like we've been talking about. From an attendee perspective, there really has to be incentive and organizers have to show that value add in order for an attendee, a business to want to send their team or individual to to a conference. So providing just as many opportunities to show that you're you're really paying attention to your audience and, and their needs and you know what content and what experiences and networking opportunities they want, I think is really important. Yeah, I started thinking too about um cuz you know like WebEx events we just recently released the feature around like dynamic registration questions, right? Or conditional mm-hmm. logic. So, you know, you can ask a certain question and then based on the answer have additional questions that pop up on your registration. And we've kind of always framed that in terms of, you know, uh, creating more custom or personalized experiences for attendees. But also it could work for sponsors. It could work for exhibitors. It could be, you know, are you interested in this particular service or offering? Or are you in this particular space? And questions that maybe aren't relevant to everyone and you don't want to burden your attendees with answering a hundred questions. But for the people who might be interested in those things or it might be relevant for um, to have something like dynamic uh, registration questions that allow you to gather that more personalized data and be able to 
feed that to a sponsor, feed that to an exhibitor. And then, you know, your attendee's not going to be bothered by that in most cases because it's ultimately going to, you know, give them either exposure to an offering that they might need or to a connection that they might need or a more personalized experience. I thought that was interesting too. I hadn't really thought about it from that perspective before. Jane mentioned like async content. If we're mm-hmm. talking about an in-person event and maybe you have a remote, a virtual audience, like deciding, you know, is, is the real-time concurrent content delivery important or is there maybe flexibility and are you able to provide you know, the virtual experience or the content after the event or at a different time? Like, is that essential to the success of your event? Which I think is interesting. And it's something that I think we talked about too with Miguel of, you know, defining what is this hybrid thing, you know, is it even called hybrid? But um, I thought that was interesting when she said, you know, maybe, maybe you don't need to have concurrent sessions for, for in-person and virtual. Maybe there can be kind of a flexibility there just depending on you know your goals and your event but I thought that was interesting yeah I, and I feel like the conversations we've had on the podcast and then also you know in preparation and just in the industry in general kind of validates that perspective I haven't I haven't fully given up on the the dream that maybe <laughs> there's this like utopian yeah. event experience where virtual and in person like you know blend seamlessly but but we are hearing that like that's it's definitely the outlier um and mm-hmm. i think the benefits of you know for those event p- professionals who still have the opportunity to think it through uh for their spring season definitely lean in on uh asynchronous events like you can you don't have to have you know the the virtual and the in-person experience should be equitable not necessarily equal, right? They don't have to be identical. They don't have to be the same experience. They just both need to be valuable or the value needs to match the investment, right? So mm-hmm. an in-person attendee that paid a whole, probably more money and had to fly and take time away from their family might expect more than virtual. Um, you need to meet that person's expectations. You still need to de- deliver valuable content. You still need to make it worth their time. You still need to provide those engagement features and, and capabilities. Um, but those things don't have to happen at the same time for both audiences. They don't have to happen the exact same way for both audiences. I thought that was a really good uh, takeaway and confirms kind of what we've been hearing. Yeah, yeah, agreed. I'm I'm learning a lot. I'm excited for more of the interviews. Like, in both the interviews, it's kind of in some ways challenged definitions or like preconceived notions about how things, you know, things that I've thought about the industry or just like the role of the event planner and hearing it from specifically Michelle. It, it, it's interesting just to hear from an actual planner who's, you know, on the ground doing the things. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and exactly. Like, you know, I mean, I, I, of course, we probably both, you know, ask ourselves like are we the right ones to be hosting this podcast sometimes but i think we are because you know we we have the content perspective and so we're used to kind of looking at a high level and disseminating the most important points and we're hearing things like you know like a newborn baby right like i've attended many events i've planned many events i would not call myself an event professional but i've planned large events and been the point person on that i've you know um but, but this is a whole different level. And I think uh, having these conversations, and obviously we are also exposed to our internal uh, experts as well, but yeah. having these conversations really puts us in a place where we can objectively 
you know, look at what's different where I think it can be hard sometimes. Uh, I bet even if you just had some of these event professionals themselves getting up there and trying to explain some of the differences without us asking the quote unquote stupid questions, um, (laughs) you know, they might not think, think it through in the same way because you have to kind of explain it to us like we're, like we're five, right. Um, Mm -hmm. for us to get it. And so, yeah, I think it's, it's interesting. That's, that's what I love about this podcast and this show is that we, we kind of come into it saying we're going, we're figuring it out because this is such a fast changing industry that like, we're trying to give you the most up-to-date like perspective on what the people who do know what's happening are thinking right now, because Mm -hmm. everyone is wondering what everyone else is thinking. Um, Everyone is wondering like, how is this person handling this, this season? And we don't have, and they don't have the benefit to get it wrong for a season. Like we just talked about Miguel with Miguel last week, a lot of these mid tier, mid sized events, like they already went away during the pandemic Mm -hmm. or like, this is the time where everyone's going to be excited and come back to an in-person event. And then, you know, if you don't meet their expectations, they might not come back again, right? This is the first right. time where we're leveraging event technology, but people are back to, you know, mostly uh, full attendance. Like, we, we just don't have the ability to get it wrong. Um, I mean, we're all going to get it wrong a little bit, but I think any little bit that you can yeah. learn from people who are in the weeds can only help. So I hope that we're providing some of that value for people. Yeah. Agreed. Thanks for joining us, Michelle. We have tons of free resources for event professionals on our website. Visit socio.events resources to check them out. We've also linked two of Michelle's resources, a contributor framework checklist and event tech feature checklist in the show notes. Thank you for listening. We'll be back in two weeks with another great guest. Until then, I'm Nolan Ether. And I'm Olivia Van Curen. This podcast is brought to you by WebEx Events, formerly Socio. Before you go, be sure to leave a review and follow the show so you don't miss an episode. We'll talk with you next time on Event Horizons.